No, you cannot. Because the documents are not there. But you just said they're public. I know I did. But this is Boston. And the church does not want them to be found. So, they are not there. podcast that celebrates all movies from the sublime to the suspicious as always i'm lindsay wilkins and this week what is truth i mean is it something you can bend or is it an unmovable unmovable fact uh because this week we are looking at i swear this double actually works trust me it is a double of ivan pass's cutter's way from 1981 and Tom McCarthy's Spotlight from 2015. And here with me to try and convince you that this actually double does actually work really well and to come with me into the archives um, is not one host, but I got two of them from the Cult Movies podcast. It's Anthony and Vinny. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hello. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having us. Uh, thank you. Um, a little bit behind the curtain, we just recorded an episode of Cobweb, of, uh, not Cobweb, sorry, different show, of Cult Movies. <laughs> um, yeah, I know how to speak. Um, and so I was just like, hey, since Vinny's going to be on there, why don't he come on and if he wants to talk about these movies? And he said yes. So it was like, absolutely. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Yeah, yeah, and you know, here's 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 the thing, Lindsay. We it seems like because last time you and I it spoke on here, we did a double of uh, Durfan and Irreversible, mm -hmm. which nobody wants to watch that double, besides <laughs> you or you and me. Yes, uh, and then we have another double here that I don't know that I'm convinced anybody but you or me wants to watch as well. So this is this is just the thing. This is my thing. This is the thing. I I bring Anthony on because uh, no, as soon as I found out Anthony loved Spotlight, I was like, okay, how do I get <laughs> how do I bring this into the show? Um, yeah, because Spotlight is such a cheerful movie about <laughs> pedophilic priests <laughs> and those hunting them, um, and Cutter's Way also a deeply sad <laughs> movie. <laughs> um, we'll get into it, but um, no, cult movies seems like it's been going strength to strength with you guys, especially with you bringing on Kristen and um, as as mentioned, Vinny, especially your actors series and things like that. So no, I've been absolutely loving it. Well, thank you. Your support is always appreciated, and we love having you on. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, it's <laughs> that that's Vinny's that's Vinny's thing. That's what he does on the show. He just, mm -hmm. uh -huh. That's all I ever do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Do. Uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, we we just we just wrapped up, like you said, we we uh, we just finished recording that episode on Duck Soup, and now we're done for the season, and we get to come on shows like Schlock and Awe. Yes, and we're excited uh, about it. Yes, we Very went excited. from 
it's a movie of pure joy to this thing. <laughs> so we'll see how we go. Um, but no, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this is we're really looking forward to this. Uh, Cutter's Wave was a first time watch for me. Um, I kind of vaguely knew the plot and I thought I knew Anthony liked it is when I pitched it. I thought, hey, I think Anthony likes Cutter's Way. This feels like an Anthony movie. Um, so we'll get to see if I'm actually right or not. Um, but yeah, we might as well just get right into this double. There's a lot to talk about, especially when I start um, going nuts over over Spotlight, particularly. As as I like to imagine, we're sitting in a theater watch, going to watch these movies. And of course, it's the trailers. Um, Anthony, what is going to be your trailer for Hudder's Way? All right. So uh, like Vinny and I had been talking the past couple of days, uh, it's kind of hard coming up with pairings and trailers and that sort of thing. And Cutter's Way is a, uh, it's a very dark movie when you think about it. Mm. Um, And to pair it with another incredibly dark movie uh, is, you know, that's a, it's a heavy double. So I I thought maybe uh, to start the evening, we're going to have, have some levity here and we're going to watch a trailer for Shane Black's, the nice guys. March, Jack Ely. Don't get upset. I'm not here to hurt you. Look away. You know there's a mirror here, right? What do you want? Just a couple of people say you're a pretty good detective. That's a lot of work. I want you to help me with this case. My profession's very complicated. It's very nuanced. Well, look who decided to show up for class. This is a high-profile case. You seen this girl? Her name's Amelia. Who's in it for me? We can do this the easy way. No! We're currently doing it the easy way. Whores here and stuff. Sweetheart, how many times have I told you? Don't say and stuff. Just say, Dad, there are whores here. Starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. A movie that is insanely rewatchable, like many of Black's movies, but the trailer. And so, like, when I come on Schlock and all, I'm I'm thinking about actual trailers. And I watched a couple trailers. I was going to do, not to step on any toes here, Mm. 8 Million Ways to Die you know, for a mustachioed Jeff Bridges. But it just, the trailer really sucks for 8 Million Ways to Die. Sorry if either of you yeah. picked it. Um, no, I looked it really at it. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Nice Guys trailer, you know, it's a it's a modern movie. Uh, trailers are spoiler heavy. They include lots of stuff. But like the music and the, you know, it's just, it's so funny. Um, the trailer itself, it's three minutes of, of pure bliss and, uh, and anarchy. And, um, it's, you know, I, Ryan Gosling is my favorite actor working today. Uh, I, because Marjo Gortner doesn't act anymore. That's why. Um, and I love, love Ryan Gosling and he is so freaking funny and the nice guys. I love the movie. Love the trailer. So I figured before we get into some dark shit, let's get some levity here with the nice guys. Um, I love this movie and I love it when Brian Gosling does comedy. He doesn't do it enough because he has to be brooding yeah. all the time. Uh, Vinny, you've seen the nice guys? Yeah, this is actually was the first movie I thought of mm. was the nice guys. for. So I think it's a perfect pairing. 
or Anthony. Yeah. Uh, yeah hilarious. Um, I think that it's pitch perfect. The two lead performances, they both knew the assignment exactly. And they uh, executed it extremely well. Yeah. Very, very good movie. Yeah, I was a little surprised how well Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling worked together, but I guess they, I don't know what it was, but that's just that script. And um, I don't think I could die. It was one of the funniest line readings ever from Ryan Gosling or when he's explaining <laughs> his job. <laughs> like, she isn't dead, but she is dead. Um, no, it's, I, this is absolutely, yeah, this trailer is amazing. I love this movie. Um, I could, I'm going to stop myself and go to Vinny for his trailer. Otherwise, I will be quoting it all day. Um, yeah, Vinny, what is going to be your trailer for Cutter's Way? Yeah, so my first pick was going to be The Nice Guys, but my second pick, good thing I wrote more than one, yeah. was is for the 1979 uh, drama, thriller, comedy, action, mystery film uh, with Jeff Bridges, uh, Winter Kills by William Reicher. Winter Kills. The search for a truth that could shake everything you ever believed in. What Nicholas Keegan will discover is the most dangerous, shattering revelation of our time. The Keegans are an American dynasty. What am I going to do with these girls, Mr. Secretary? First they're hot, then they're cold. Hello, Pa. You all know my son, Nicholas. Hi, Nick. They own ships, oil, and swank New York restaurants. We don't allow ladies in trousers in the dining area. You what? Ah, uh, it's no problem. Follow me along the sidewalk. Because he didn't think I tipped him enough. Imagine that. We will have to ask you to leave. My name is Nicholas Keegan. My father owns this place. I'm awfully sorry, sir. It's a conspiracy, political, uh, espionage, all over the place, dark comedy um, with Jeff Bridges uh, pretty much going against different factions of the U.S. government, different factions of world governments, uh, trying to uncover different mysteries Mm. that some nothing some mean something and uh yeah it's a weird bizarre tone film but i think it's a blast um and as a, the cast is massive it's insane i was just um, looking at the yeah, cast you, yeah yeah you can go ahead and read the cast list if you want it's it's just it's never ending uh john houston anthony perkins Stalin, uh sterling hayden whether he can he acts in it or not is another question um <laughs> Tarosho uh, Mifune, for God's sakes, Richard Boone. Um, that was just the first. Oh my God, Eli Wallach is in this. Um, Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> it's just, oh my Joe God. Spinell. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm watching this. This looks amazing. Yeah. So that would be my. Yeah, pick, I... is, uh, to- mm. the it's the tone is all over the place. I think it's supposed to be a comedy mm. because there's some really silly moments in it. But it's, you know, it's a conspiracy thriller kind of film, too. So it's mm. dark and and mysterious. But, uh, yeah, big fan of this one. It's got a few different Blu-ray releases, too. So it's pretty easy to find. And it's streaming readily. So Nice. Mm. Yeah, that looks absolutely uh, amazing. Okay. For my trailer, since everyone kind of, well, I'm going to go for something a bit more grim but i think it kind of fits the almost uh it's not cutter's way isn't exploitation it's not grindhouse but i'm going to go for more of a grindhouse trailer but i'm going to go for john flynn's rolling thunder from 1977 he's been away for eight years 
Now, he's coming home. Speaking for myself, I'd like to say that the whole experience has made a better man, a better officer, and a better American out of me. Thank you very much. But the world has changed. I've been with another man. You don't remember me, do you? And he's changed, too. Pull it up in the air like you're going to take me clear on up to the ceiling. All right. I'm just... Now, higher, man. Higher till you hear the bones starting to crack. That's it. Higher! Come on! Higher! Higher! I got to go now. What do you expect me to do? Just drop everything? What is wrong with you? You're driving too slow. It's going to take some time to readjust. Charlie! Shut up! Your husband, he's got a whole bag of silver dollars, and if I don't get him, he's gonna die. Um, I almost, I almost picked Rolling Thunder too. Yeah, it, it, I don't know, it just fits. Like, um, even though I think it's just because it's about broken people trying to get some revenge in the world. Um, whatever, um, Alex Cutter's um, motivations are for actually going after um, Cord, as they call, keep calling him. Um. But uh, Robert Devane, um, oh my God, Tommy Lee Jones' performance, especially just in the famous words he says, I'll get my gear, uh, is absolutely fantastic. And it's just one of those movies where you're fist pumping, but yet feeling achingly bad for everyone at the same time. And it's it's more violent than you think it's going to be. It's just, I don't know, I I fell in love with this movie the first time I saw it. Oh, William Devane, yeah, sorry. I, William uh, Devane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Billy Devane is incredible. Mm. And, and, and. Let me tell you why I this was my first thought to do Rolling Thunder. Uh, because Billy Devane doesn't have he has a hook for a hand in the movie. Yes. And John John Hurt doesn't have an arm in Cutter's Way. That was I, I was like, and I was also thinking, should should I go with hook for my trailer? Anyways. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I I remember Scream Factory had announced or Shout Factory had announced a couple years ago that they were uh low stock on on their Blu-ray of Rolling Thunder, and I, uh, I was, I didn't want to experience that FOMO, so I immediately hopped on and got a copy and and saw it for the first time last year, I think, and was just blown away. And I've watched it probably four times since I've gotten it mm-hmm. over. You know, it's only eighteen months ago, and I've seen it four times. Such a great movie. Uh, yeah, Vinny, you've seen Rolling Thunder. Absolutely, mm. yeah, I love it. It's. It's one of those movies that you hear, like, everyone's like, oh, it's really, really good. You should watch it. And you're like, okay, I'll check it out. And mm-hmm. then you watch it, and you're like, oh, this is really, really good. <laughs> it is. It really is that good. Yeah, because you think everyone keeps telling you, and because Quentin Tarantino, has this is his sainted movie. So you're like, oh, is it that good? And then you watch, you're like, no, 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 it is actually that yeah, good. Yeah, it actually is that good. Yeah, there's a reason um, for that. But, um, yeah, the trailer's just very kind of, you know, man pushed the limits. It's a lot of screeching because this movie is, yeah, but that is my trailer. And <laughs> with those noises, we're going to get into the the beautiful, the sad, the melancholic, the absolutely absurd Cutter's Way. Great art demands a great audience. You know what I mean? Veteran, isn't he? Something like that. I know what it does to some men. I have to give that another try. He's drunk. Makes you say that. World lacks heroes, Rich. I don't want to be one. It's got nothing to do with you. You never wanted to be one. Is there a Richard Bone here? 
crushed trachea, fractured skull, 17 years old. Cheerleader. And I didn't do it. That's him. You said it's him. Now, did I get that quote right? Yeah, you got one big problem. What's that? Your imagination. I haven't even begun to let my imagination loose on this one. You're gonna blackmail J.J. Cord. Crony's in the playpen, planning a dumb crime. Oh! I did hope you weren't hurt. He knew who you were from the first. You think we haven't been watched? I chose the, I didn't exactly do some letterbox talking because uh, someone has taken all their um, ratings off letterbox, Anthony. Um, <laughs> but I do remember you mentioning that this was a movie that you'd liked or was it, or was I getting it mixed up with another movie and then just proposed it? Cause I think I threw a few movies out there to pair with spotlight. Well, here's the deal. Here's what happened. Mm. Uh, Vinny went through and added ratings to all of his movies. And mm. I thought, we need to even things out here. So I went through and nuked all of my ratings. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I I love Cutter's Way. Mm. I got the Twilight Time Blu-ray before it went out of print. Mm. Uh, right? It's out of print, Vinny. Is that right? Yes. Mm. Almost I, every I, Twilight I Time film is out of print, yeah. Yeah. Out of, right. Yeah, at this point. Um, and so I you know, didn't want to experience that FOMO. Got the Blu-ray. And watch it. I got it because Cutter's Way is in cult movies two or three. It's in oh, it's in one of those books. Yeah. Um, and so we'll be doing that. Maybe maybe we'll just have you back for that yeah, uh, episode, well. yeah. Lindsay, and we'll just, mm. just redo this. Or maybe we'll just take this episode of Schlock and all. <laughs> yeah, just and take the audio. And then put it in the... Yeah. Man, that's going to be easy shit. <laughs> take a week. So easy. Anyway. Change the intro. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not even do that. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so i i got that blu-ray and it was one of those like you know brian and alric talked it up on mm. on pure cinema it's in danny's book you know it's kind of kind of sets this bar for me and i watched it and uh it, it was so it exceeded my expectations so i loved it the first time i saw it i loved it even more when i rewatched it yesterday uh last night but it is not at all what you expect going into this movie. If with, with Jeff Bridges, you expect some sort of levity with Bridges, mm. right? Um, even though, you know, he's, he's one of the greatest dramatic actors of all time. He's also one of the funniest. Um, and then John Heard, was going to be a trailer. That was a possibility. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Me too. Same, same, yeah. same, same. Mm. Uh, and then, and then John Heard, like with one leg, one arm and an eye patch and you think okay this is going to be like more maybe more along the lines of something like the nice guys yeah and so that's what i was going into it i wasn't expecting how weird and dark this movie was which is why i probably loved it so mm. much because it is so dark and is really depressing and and like you know i i think about even the opening watching it rewatching again last night sitting in front of my tv and and uh, uh, who's the composer? Jack Nietzsche's score. Oh. And this is the year after, mm. after he scores uh, Friedkin's Cruising. Mm. And, you know, he's he's this underground New York, like experimental punk musician. And he starts scoring movies in the 70s and in the 80s. And, and he's, he's doing these uh, like weird sounds the, he's getting these sounds emanating from his guitar and his pedals and his amps uh to make these um 
sort of almost whale calls. Um, and then he adds these very melancholic synth uh, chords and tones lightly behind mm. that. And you have this black and white opening uh, freeze frame. And then the color slowly comes in and uh, this, this horse walks across. And I was like, Oh, this is the perfect way to set the mood for this movie. It is so weird. Um, the the tone, it, it just sets it perfectly for the movie. And and you're kind of just riding. It's like you're in the ocean and you're just you've just let go and you're riding those waves. You know, you're like you're you're maybe 70 yards off the beach and you're just floating up and down with the tide and you don't know where this story is taking you but you're so relaxed and enthralled that you just don't care where we're going that's a really perfect example because it is a really dreamy weird movie even though it is a very much a structured like a neon noir uh vinnie when did you first see cutter's way this uh I've t- i think i've told a story before mm-hmm. um on call movies but i used to work at a hollywood video and there was this guy that used to come in and very eccentric guy and he's always making these lists and there are always uh films that we didn't have at hollywood video that i should look for Mm. and he kept putting cutter's way on the list so i finally ordered it to get into so this was probably i was probably like 20 21 years old um finally ordered it to get it into the store and i watched it and i'm like oh wow like it's yeah, I get why you were recommending this like every week. Mm. I, I I get it now. Um, blew me away. It's it uh, turned me on to Jeff Bridges. I didn't know Jeff Bridges from like before the '90s. I didn't know any of his films at that point. And uh, this is the one that like opened up that that door to get into those and never really stopped. Yeah. Plus, Jeff uh, Bridges is super sexy in this movie. I mean, I think I have a very much the older version in my head, so I don't always sort of remember like. The um last Texas picture, the last Texas picture show, or whatever, and all that kind of thing. Um, and then when you see him in that first scene when he's just wearing unbuttoned jeans, you're like, damn, Bridges. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I this is the first time I had seen it was for this show. Um, I kind of had a vague idea what it was about. I knew it was about like yeah. a weird conspiracy. A guy kind of convinced someone had murdered someone, which is what is the plot. But I grabbed the imprint um Blu-ray, so it is still on Blu-ray, so it's still gettable um even if you have to import it and then yeah that first scene when you're just sort of seeing this very i mean if there's ever a movie that is about sad sex it is cutter's way (laughs) it's not (laughs) um it is because everyone yeah i mean when you meet john hurt i mean this is even before you get to john hurt but you sort of meet um uh jeff bridges kind of he's having an affair in this kind of sleazy hotel you can kind of tell that he's very aimless, that he doesn't, he's a very aimless, mm-hmm. unmoored character. So when he even, he witnesses the murder, because I don't think he even finds the body. It's like, oh, I think I witnessed the, um, him dumping the body, this whoever's dumping the body. It's not even like a very concrete thing. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It's just this very dreamy, moody kind of thing where you don't know where the truth is because every single time Cutter starts ranting about something, you're like, oh, this guy is completely nuts. There is no way that this guy that the the focused on absolutely did anything. It's just a guess. Mm. Um, we'll get to what we think happened at the end, but 
yeah you just get so involved with these people's lives i mean i completely this is the first movie i've ever think of it well that i know of seen of um lisa icorn she is amazing in this movie um speaking of very sad sex but just what she's putting herself through because she's trying to make someone who is never going to be whole again like no leg no arm no eye there is no way she can put cut her back together again but she's constantly trying um no that I, I i fell over i fell in love with this movie yeah what's interesting that opening scene with uh bridges in the hotel so he's with uh and it's really uh kind of uh odd that the woman he's with is nina van palant mm. and nina van palant plays uh bad actor sterling hayden's wife in the long goodbye Okay, 10, 10 years-ish prior. Oh, shit, I didn't put and that together. So, so, so I, I imagine this is where her character from The Long Goodbye has ended up. Yeah. Um, and because that, you know, The Long Goodbye is a, is a very California movie. This is a very um, California movie. Mm. Not it, And it's not L.A. Of course, The Long Goodbye is L.A., um this and is this is south i think north north, north, or north. I think, I, maybe it's wherever it is it's not la which is mm. interesting because the setting this this little town uh this hamlet that they're in is sort of a character uh but it's this it's this uh unnamed place in california mm. and going into the it's, rewatch uh, last santa night, barbara like, oh santa barbara okay oh okay Okay, so going into to the rewatch last night, I was like, all right, I'm ready for a, a Florida neo-noir. For some reason, I had Florida in my head. Mm. Uh, I think because of the, the rain scene. You know, I don't mm. think mm-hmm. rain when I think California. Of course, right now, apparently everyone's drowning. Yeah. Rain. Right. Um, so so I, with, with Nina Van Palant, at the beginning of this movie in the hotel jeff bridges it's it's very and i was i'm wondering i haven't listened to the commentary nick's commentary on the twilight time and then uh over here fun city editions put out a uh a blu-ray when twilight times uh Mm. lapsed and then um uh radiance their mm. fun cities releasing through radiance over in the uk so yeah and and imprint so mm. there's blu-rays everywhere now which is great good because people awesome. need to see oh, that's good. Mm. <laughs> right yeah all that said i don't know um if ivan passer was thinking uh the long goodbye nina van Pallant, that mm. relationship with her at the beginning because this is the only time we ever see her mm. which is because she's you know, I mean, she's a uh, she's not a you know a, a Hollywood starlet, but she's a cult movie star. People it's, know who she is, and here she is, just in the movie for like three minutes. It's almost like a handoff because I didn't realize it was her, and but it feels like a sort of a handoff between the nineteen seventies noir, which is the long goodbye, to this kind of very yeah. before you get into the yeah. very ultra sort of stylish and violent Michael Mann kind of movies. But it's this handoff of like, oh. Here it is, because the private detective is always kind of a man out of time. He's a loner. He's usually an alcoholic, which Carter definitely is. I mean, the scene mm. when he's so offended when Mo buys food um, is turns starts really funny and then just starts completely tragic when Mo just gives that devastating monologue. But he's he's kind of this weird 
like I was sort of watching it going, is he even real? Like he he's playing it in a way that he seems so opposite to everyone else because he has gone through something that no one has gone through. But because of that, he seems like this kind of ma- manufactured character in a way. But mm. we all know uh, Alex Cutter. <laughs> Yeah, and both characters oh, really have a interesting introduction. Yeah. So the first time you're seeing Jeff Bridges' character, it's that very awkward morning after affair mm. scene. Mm. And then there's the and then when he walks into the bar, and you're really seeing who Alex Cutter is, and he's drunk, and everyone you can tell that everyone at the table is just fed up mm. with, with his shtick for the whole night. Um, it's I love how how well they introduce those characters in such a short amount of time. Cause by that point, you know exactly who Jeff Bridges is playing. You know exactly who John Hurt is playing, you know, their relationship with each other. And uh, it's really odd because there's a lot of comedy in the, in like in the movie, but not the way that you'd expect it to be. Like Anthony was saying with Jeff Bridges and John Hurt, it's not, it's not the kind of comedy that you're expecting, but, and it's very dark and it's very real. The, the, the characterizations of these two men that you get just for just from those opening scenes. Yeah. And they introduce Mo perfectly because I think when he goes looking for Alex, he goes to his house where Mo is and she just calls him up on his shit. The first thing she does, she's like, Oh yeah, you've been with someone who an older woman you don't love. You probably feel a bit dirty. Of course. Where do you think Alex is? He's at the bar. And yeah, the fact that Alex kind of likes riling people up, like he can't be, unless it's the police and he, does a complete 180, <laughs> which I love. Um, but he likes to rile people up. He likes to get them mad so he can therefore react to them, um, which speaks so much to his character and speaks so much to that bar scene where you're right. Everyone has just had a gut feel like, oh, fuck, Alex is doing this thing again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a credible introduction. So when they sort of get going and when um, like an off killed a comment of Boone going, Oh, I think that was the guy that dumped the body. That's when it's Cutter that gets into gear, not Boone. Boone would probably let it go if he wouldn't. He, I don't think you can tell he wants to think about it, but Cutter's all of a sudden is like, Right, that's the guy. Okay, let's go after him in the most nefarious way we can think of. Like, it's not, it's not like a, Hey, we're going to build evidence. It's more of a, Hey, we'll just blackmail this guy and see what we can get from that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The, the mix, uh, the mixing in mm-hmm. of post Vietnam war, uh, PTSD that has really messed with this guy's head mm-hmm. is very interesting, uh, because they don't, you know, they, they, there are a few offhanded comments. The character, my God, like is obviously he's a, he's a veteran, uh, Purple Heart recipient, and there is the one scene where you know he, after smashing through the neighbor's fence and starting this fight, he goes in and changes clothes and like puts on the show, right? But that's about all we hear about Vietnam, and so in that way, I think this movie is very of its time. It's this time capsule of a movie. Uh, but at the uh, on the other side of this 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 coin, it feels very timeless in that way. This paranoia that lives within this guy's um, not even head, like his whole being, mm. is he just uh, he's a man with nothing to lose. Our introduction to him, he's sitting at the bar and 
coming up with all the mm. derogatory names for for these black guys oh, staying yes. around. He's trying to get, trying Boone to get Bridges in. to say mm. right, trying to get get Bone to say the the N word, mm. and he's a guy with he just doesn't give a shit. He is a nihilist, uh, which in in my opinion, I've talked about this on my show. I think uh, uh, nihilists, uh, like in Big Lebowski, uh, they're nihilists. They're nihilists. Um, we want the money, Lebowski. Are, are the most dangerous types of people because they they don't care about anything one way or the other. They just don't care, and they 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 live their life like they could die at any minute. And they don't care who they offend or or what damage they do. And that is very scary. There's real people out in the world like that. And like you said, Lindsay, we all know an Alex Cutter or two. Mm. And I wish I didn't. I wish those types of people didn't. I wish this mm. was a, car- a caricature yes. of, of a version of someone like this. But these people do exist. So having the, the Vietnam War be the quote, cause of this man's uh, uh, way of life, mm. the way he thinks of life uh, is really interesting in that way, I feel like is a is a time capsule because of the whole Vietnam thing, which isn't talked about very much in the movie. No, I mean, I remember when I was growing up in the 80s, he went to Nam was always a thing. I mean, the funny version of Carter is um, John Goodman from um, Big Lebowski because he, Lebowski, again, yeah. he has nothing to lose, just everything, but everyone around him does, which is kind of where the humor comes from. So when he starts screaming at this kid, this is what you get when you fuck a stranger in the ass is hilarious, but when you've got Alex Carter essentially <laughs> doing that to someone, it's dangerous um but yeah the um the ptsd and well they've never called it ptsd now they do for people who have now been in war for 20 years and then kind of and missing limbs and everything like that it's the language is very different but it was just this guy who they just left pretty much on the side of the road to try and figure it out and as a kid it was always that kind of crazy guy in the corner oh he was from he went to nam and everyone would in in movies and tv it was like oh okay that explains it but I hadn't seen this kind of um, the side character in a movie become the main character in a movie and the damage he can cause because he thinks I'm still I'm still struggling. He's still, I mean, he gets the small, tiny idea and then blows it out of proportion. He gets the girl's sister involved and everyone else kind of, he just starts pulling people into his orbit and you're right. He has nothing to lose, but yet, these people around him do and that's kind of where the danger comes into it it's not that alex has has nothing to lose but Bo has something to lose mo has something to lose um the sister definitely has something more to lose it's yeah that is all really kind of terrifying the fact that he's just this one idea and then he just keeps running with it and running with it no matter how much evidence though i think maybe cord did do it by his last line but um yeah it's yeah, that is absolutely fascinating. Just the is this orbit that keeps like pulling people into him, and it it just causes death and destruction. And I, I like that we're we're never really privy to who, because a lot of times, you know, mm. Uh, mm. Hitchcock, for instance, you know, we always see we yes. know who the killer is, exactly. we know where the rope is, type of thing, right? Yeah. Um. Uh. Here we we don't even see like we see bare. Barely a silhouette mm. of a figure, 
we have no idea and and so this this like uh genius ending this extremely ambiguous ending uh are my favorite types of endings yeah um you know it's uh it's it's the end of the season where mr burns gets shot and the simpsons and and uh, uh the doctor turns and he goes who do you think, think did it? it? Yeah. Thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, I I love what I... I was laying in bed last night thinking, why is Richard Bone friends with Alex? Because Alex is such a piece of shit. Mm. Why are they friends? Why is he friends with him? Yeah, that I kept wondering that. Why do you think they're friends, Vinny? Do you think there's a lot just a past connection? Or? I think it's, I think yeah, I think it's more of this is not who he was. Yeah, and you and there's they they talk about their relationship a little bit before mm. like the, the Vietnam era where we we couldn't all afford to go to an Ivy League school mm. and things like that. So, um, yeah. you know, he's he. I feel like he became this kind of broken man. They're, they're both broken men in mm. that sense, but in different ways. One is from the war and one is just from regular adulthood. Mm. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, what you, we were alluding to is the, we don't see anything, the MacGuffin of the story. You think it's a mystery about, yeah. you know, this, who killed this girl, but really that's not it at all. Mm. The real thing is these two men and how they are towards each other and how they are towards society. And a lot of uh, Cutter's like anger and nihilism is because of what has happened to him through society, the, the, because of the war, because of the 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 way that society has treated him, because of these. And he says he goes, "They're all to blame," mm-hmm. and, and he's talking about Cord, and it's him and people like him kind of thing. So I think that's that's really what um, their relationship is 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 they're friends till the end kind of thing but they they're not really compatible at all anymore mm. but they're still you know he's still going to pick them up they're still there for each other whether they like it or not they get each other involved in things whether they like mm. it or not so I, I don't think that it's like oh this is my best friend i think it's like this is the only other person that kind of can tolerate being around me mm. yeah um yeah because i noticed uh Alex's friends tend to be a lot of upper class. Like he's constantly going to con- con- country clubs and then a polo game. And it's because Jeff Bridges works for, oh, I didn't write the actor's name down, which is terrible. Um, the not um, Ned Beatty guy. And yeah, but, Arthur Rosenberg. Yes, Arthur Rosenberg. Yeah, that's just sort of interesting. It's just the ways that um, Cutter just kind of walks through society. The very same, doesn't matter kind of where he is. He's going to be very loud about the fact that Cord killed a woman when, Mrs. Cord is sitting at at it right at the table next to them. <laughs> Just <laughs> what are these guys talking about? Um, or the fact that he's at a polo game. Yeah, yeah, horses keep coming up. I now know at the end when Carter finally gets on a horse yeah. and starts and starts riding like a hero. Um, but yeah, this movie is filled with horses. I was like, what has horses got to do with the oh wait, that okay, now that all makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, the you know, I, Vinny, I think you're exactly right. The, this movie isn't, yes, it's a neo-noir. It's a really strange neo-noir. Mm. It's atypical. Mm. Um, and I think that that's Passer's hand. Uh, and it's a, I mean, he's he is so confident with his script uh, based on who wrote the book? Uh, Newton Thornburg. Mm. Oh, no. Je- um, he didn't write the script. Anyways. Mm. 
the script in Passer's hands and then Passer with the camera is so confident in telling his version of a neo-noir, a uh, post-Vietnam, early, uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s neo-noir. It's a it's a very specific flavor of movie that he's making, and he's very confident in that. Um, it's not, while, yes, this is a very specific type of neo-noir, Vinny, you're exactly right. It's about the relationship of these two mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. beings. These three human beings. And I love this this sort of uh, relationship with, with Mo and Alex and, and Richie um, that Alex and Mo are, yes, they're together, but Richie is uh, just as committed to this relationship. And it's this, I, I, I think... Like you're you're saying, Vinny, Richie's sort of obligation that he feels towards yeah, uh, that's a good, towards that's a good word. Alex yeah. has a lot to do. A lot of that is tied up in Maureen. It is, mm-hmm. and then spoilers when she dies. And so I've seen this movie two times. Shocking! Mm. It is so heartbreaking and shocking that they kill her in this movie in the book i mean it's like i would uh, just shocking Mm. um the way both men process and handle that situation is very interesting and it's i i think it's in that moment we we realize this movie isn't just about trying to figure out you know it's not a whodunit Mm. it's it's a human story it's about these two Mm. human beings yeah, because the bodies, and when you think when you think about that, it's really, really beautiful and interesting. Yeah, because the body's almost like a, oh, it's not even a MacGuffin. It's just something that happens. I mean, you do meet her sister, but you don't know much about this person who was murdered, um, let alone who actually killed her and why. That is not the point. Which is most neon noirs. That's kind of what the movie is about. Because you're getting in the conspiracy theory is, okay, what who, who was this girl, girl involved with? What happened? Why did she end up in a dumpster? at the beginning of the movie this one is is more why cutter thinks that it's called that did it not even why he thinks that called just did it so therefore he wants to get involved with a bone is kind of richie's just like hey okay i'll go along with this because i need to protect my friend and then the collateral collateral damage is unfortunately more rain and she's kind of the glue that keeps them together yeah you can kind of see the split that starts between the two men after she dies um the fact that bone is just like i I don't want to have anything to do with this scheme that you've done i don't i don't actually care if he's the killer or not it's not until right at the end when um kata is 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 killed it and it's all the uh, all the deaths in this movie are very ambiguous you don't know how mo died well you know how he died but you don't know why which is the saddest thing whether it was an accident whether it was self-inflicted or it was part of the big conspiracy um and the fact that when Kata goes through the glass pane, was that sort of half, I don't care if I live or die, but I mostly want to want to die kind of thing. It's that very ambiguous thing of why uh, pe- why people die in the first place. It's not, it's it's more gray area than it is black and white, which is this movie. Yeah, it's like a lot of, like you said, the the deaths in this, it's, it all can just be, 
you know, coincidence mm. or is like, is this like, is everything happening for the reasons that um, Cutter thinks it's happening? Yeah. Like, is that really what's happening? Or is it, no, it's, there was a fire. No, it's the, he died. He, you know, maybe this guy didn't do anything and mm. you, he died from, he didn't die from anything besides the, the, the glass. Yeah. From, the window so it's like not like he was killed for getting too close or anything like that mm. and he does go like when as soon as jeff bridges says at the parade that's i think that's the guy that i saw he literally just goes yeah and he starts yelling at people move get out of the way kind of thing he's immediately on it like i feel like he was waiting for something mm. like he's like that kind of, he was just waiting for something to occupy his mind and this mm. and he saw this as an opportunity for that and he's like he's so mentally damaged that this is something that like he need like he knew he needed something or maybe he needed a way out. Yeah, and, and it's just and, through and, the process he's of just it. Yeah, jumping at it, and and it mm. is that thing where, yeah, it's a mystery that you can't really solve because as an audience you're not given the pieces to solve mm. the puzzle. So that's why it's it's always weird when this gets. I feel like it's, it gets lumped in with new and war, but really it it doesn't. It's not really. It doesn't really fit feel to me. It feels like a, this kind of like a buddy drama, but they're like, yeah. you know, like I said, very damaged, broken men. Um, but it doesn't feel like a noir. But I feel like the noir is just there as a just a story. <laughs> like he, like uh, Cutter needed it. Right. Cutter yeah. needed, yeah, he needed something. If it wasn't, if it wasn't going to be, hey, I, I think that's the guy. It was going to be something else. And you see, like when he was at the when he was at the bar, and he was just saying things to everyone at the table and then he starts with the racial slurs and things like that and you know like he's trying he's trying to get something he's trying to get something to happen in his life and uh yeah like and the, the mo thing is as you don't really know what happens there either is that part of his plan is that part of you know his reality or is that you know actually was cord and this conspiracy they're trying to cover up so it it, it it works on a lot of levels, but I, I feel like throwing it as a neo noir is it's just unfair to the movie because I don't I don't feel like it is a noir. No, I mean it's got this vague framing of a noir, yeah, as in very vague, new, vaguely noir. Yeah, the dead body <laughs> they need to yep. figure out, and kind of does kind of facilitate the private eye detective, but that's kind of where it ends because. Cutter's cutter. I mean, the adventure thing he keeps pushing, but when he pulls back, it's fascinating. The scene with the cops when he's literally doing the same thing with the neighbors, he's yelling at them, trying to get them to hit him. He's bashed their lawn and their car. Like, I mean, that is some amazing parking. Um, and then as soon as the cop shop, <laughs> he comes out cool, just saying, Hey, I'm really sorry. Um, yeah, I did this. The guy just started yelling and threatening. I, I don't know what's happening. And it's just like this complete 180 personality. And whether it's part of the game to get the neighbor even more infuriated or he doesn't want to go to pr yeah you never know why he's doing exactly why he's doing something at a particular time and it it keeps you on your toes in terms of the shifting personalities that Carter kind of inhabits and i, I do like that scene a lot for the yeah. comedy too yes <laughs> it, it gives you that that little bit of comedy that you need so that it's not yeah yeah it's not just keep going down or down or down it gives you that little bit of comedy yeah so what what's interesting here is is that he uh, just uses his his beast of a car as a battering ram, mm. and you know he bare, like he basically falls out of his car, and he's he can barely stand up. He's so freaking wasted. Mm. Um, 
but he, he steps inside and Mo knows the routine. Like she goes and gets his license and like, like he's, he goes directly to his wardrobe and he's, mm. he's putting on his, his vet jacket. And like, he, like you're saying, Lindsay, he, he flips. Um, and so this tells me that he's completely aware. He knows mm. exactly mm. what he's doing. Uh, so um, I, I think this then feeds into kind of what you're saying, Vinny, in that Alex is looking, just looking for something mm -hmm. to happen in his life. And he's doing this and maybe he's even acting drunker than he mm. really is. Uh, because I, I feel like those of us who, who have, you know, uh, drank or, or been high or whatever in the past, especially when we're younger, we act more inebriated than we are uh, because we think, oh, that this is how you're supposed to, you know, this is the cool thing to blah, 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 all the stupid shit that kids think. Um, and it gets your reaction and, as well. Oh, when exactly. He's, just, he's going for a reaction. Um, and uh, it's Alex Cutter is such a fascinating character because um, is he completely aware and totally fine up here or is does he have a bunch of loose screws up here um and again that that that's all part of the ambiguousness of this movie we're left with so many questions um and then i you know i i think a movie like that can inspire great conversations such as the mm -hmm. one we're having now um real quick with the neighbor I think maybe the neighbors set the fire. Ah. I, I don't actually think that, but the, the neighbor could have set the fire because Look, the living next to wasn't Alex helping Kata, him. Yeah, well, living next to Alex Cata cannot be easy. <laughs> I do like in that scene I mean, when the that, neighbor goes, I'm a taxpayer, and the cop goes, so am I. And yeah, then he leaves yeah. just leaves because he's completely won over by yeah. a cutter. And he yeah. writes the ticket for yeah. the... Yeah, uh, so for the license <laughs> expired license right that's yeah. the only thing right yeah oh when it yeah. pours it right when it rains it pours yeah. sorry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, john but, heard played yeah. so many interesting characters uh because i mean for me he was you know i think i feel like the first time i really knew who this guy was was from home alone right me too, he played yeah. kevin's dad in home alone, in home alone too right uh, but then you start watching other movies or like in the Sopranos, he plays such a piece of shit in the Sopranos as this dirty detective. Um, and, but then you watch something like after hours where he, he has, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty subdued. He's not really playing a character in after hours. He's kind of the coolest person in the room with after hours. Like he's kind of aware of what's going on, but he's just like, I'm exactly, not going to help yes. you. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's like he's he's the normie yeah. fitting in with all the weirdos in this in this neighborhood in the middle of the night. But uh, and and like even chilly scenes of winter. I mean, he, these uh, on the yard, even cat good people. prison movie. Yeah, uh, cat there. people like this guy. Uh, and, and I feel like he's getting his due, unfortunately, posthumously, but. People, I feel like, especially, you know, movie people have, have really always known, but like so many people are realizing this guy 
was an absolute treasure. He mm. delivered so many fabulous performances. And in my opinion, I feel like Alex Cutter is top for me. Mm. That's his best performance mm -hmm. out of everything that I've seen him in. No, I mean, he can play creepy and affable at the same time, which he doesn't cut his way. And he definitely does Chili Scenes of Winter. Like everything about his character in Chili Scenes of Winter is like, oh no, this is not, this is not a guy you go near, but yeah. you can't help but keep watching him. Um, same with cat people. Like I, he's playing affable and loving and I'm just like, Natasha, just kill him, kill him right now. You're going to be in a cage. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of this, yeah, but he's such a muscular actor which kind of plays, yeah, because I, I agree with Vinny, this isn't really a noir. This is more of a, a drama between three broken people and how they kind of navigate navigate the world. Just, um, mm -hmm. But I love the different acting styles of Bridges, who I just found out almost got the role of Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver, which is still blowing my mind because I'm like, that is not oh, wow. the movie that Taxi, uh, that is not the movie that it would have been. But Jeff Bridges isn't exactly muscular, but he's got this really amazing... Um, he can be funny. He can be really funny. But when he's just standing there, it's just this weird, cool presence. And he, that's what he does with his character. He wants to be laid back. He doesn't want to have to care about anything. And just the push and pull of the two acting styles of this really muscular taking up all the room and then Jeff Bridges coming in. And then just with um, Lisa Icorn's kind of in the center, just being like, um, I don't know, wonderful. Um, it kind of makes this amazing contrasting movie that it keeps you on your toes because each performance is completely different. I love it. They're not acting in the same movie, but yet it works for this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he had that stretch of just playing like sort of manipulative, but volatile characters mm. um, from on the yard to after hours yeah. that it's now that you look back on it, it's very weird that he was cast as the father Yes, in, in a children's film, <laughs> and unfortunately, that really was the biggest anything. movie. <laughs> it kind of ruins him. <laughs> yeah, because now you look back and you look at Home Alone, you're like, okay, what are you into that you can afford that house? <laughs> like, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't wait till till my boys are older and I can, because we watch Home Alone. They love Home Alone. We watch it every mm -hmm. year. I love Home Alone. Mm -hmm. And we probably will watch Home Alone until the end of time, mm. um, you know, every every Christmas. But I can't wait till they're older, till I can show them earlier performances from John Hurd and be like, look at this guy. This guy's fucking insane. Look at the shit that he he did. And like, especially the character of Alex Cutter, it's like, my God. Yeah, it is really strange, like, where he went. But he ends his career... Um, you know, or at least towards the end, that piece of shit on Sopranos. He's a mm. real piece of shit in that show. And so, like, that's kind of his. So, yeah, the the playing the dad in Home Alone is really the outlier. That's not his strong suit, even though he's great in those movies. He's mm. very funny. Uh, but like his his uh it seems like his strong game is is playing the the pieces of shit. <laughs> No, I do love how he walked into the Sopranos, looked around, and goes, "Oh, everyone's a piece of shit." Okay, let's see. <laughs> Just ups everything. <laughs> I'm at home. Yeah, yeah, I'm at home. No, it's it is a wonderful movie. I mean, I love the my favorite moment is when Mo is sleeping in the hammock outside. She's in her robe, and so when Jeff Bridges, mm -hmm. she's kind of just unrobed and you can see her breast. And he just smiles. It's not a sleazy smile. It's just, oh, he's in love with this woman. That's kind of, he's, he's getting the what if she chose me and not 
Alex kind of moment. That's kind of why I, I like it. It's that peaceful moment of a brief happiness between these two characters that could have been a what if. Until the saddest sex scene of all time when she's just crying. But <laughs> Yeah, like and obviously like they show the, the you know the post coital scene. Yes. Where, you know, he has obviously finished, right? Mm. And like for me, I'm sorry, but I'm a human person who if someone was sobbing while I was having sex with them, I would stop immediately. Yes. Uh because one, like uh, you know, I'm a I'm a good person, but two Listen, I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to finish if someone is crying while I'm doing that. So, uh that's just the way that's the way I work. I <laughs> I think it's built. so it's the way I'm built. It's that's the way, way built, you man. don't cry. Oh, me. you don't cry during sex. Oh, okay, so I'm the only no. Um no, but it is such a beautiful sad scene and you just really get the fact that Mo is kind of done with these men. Like she's done mm-hmm. with kind of both yeah. of them. Yeah, and it's it's really heartbreaking and then yeah, this movie's so beautiful that even though how sad it is the beautifulness kind of overcomes it i'm like oh no i want to live in this movie again i love these characters even though they have no idea what they're doing and they're floundering around in the dark okay i always go i always go back and forth between this and thief as my favorite film of 1981 but the more that we're talking about this i think this might be my favorite i think it might like i just the more i think about it i just love the layers that like are almost superficial. Like it's so much more yet. It's not as much as you, you know what I mean? Like it's, Mm. it's, it's about more than we think it is on the surface, but really it's not. It's, I think it's very simple. Like it's this, these two guys and well, for, for majority Mm. of the movie, three people, but um, mainly about these two guys and how they are, how they react to society. Mm. And I just, the more I talk about it, the more I realize that like, I just really, God, I love this movie and I'm glad that I got to talk about it with you guys. Yeah, I just, I'm it gave me a reason to rewatch it. Yeah, I'm kind of glad I finally got the excuse to watch this and just mm-hmm. kind of fall in love with it. Um, before I guess we finish up on this movie, I do want to talk about the final, well, the final shot, I guess, the final scene. Um, Alex kind of breaks into this party quarters having, he gets on a horse and does this hero amazing hero moment, only to have him kind of die before he can do it from Cord's final line do you think he actually did do it or do you think it's kept ambiguous uh i don't think cord was involved mm. at all i think uh cord uh was toying with these boys at you know at the end mm. of the movie and uh, uh richie ends up kill- i mean we assume he shoots mm. cord right gunshot blackout yeah. um I think Richie killed an innocent man. I mean, an asshole, yeah. but an innocent man. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? And I, I think mm. that, I, I think the fire was an accident. Yeah, I think the fire was an accident as well. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think I don't think any of the things that Cutter found out or were thinking were actually part of this mystery. I think that mm. it's just like I said. I think he just he wanted. I think he wanted to die, mm. but he didn't want to die a sad alcoholic veteran. He wanted to die a hero. Mm-hmm. And that's why he throws himself to the window. It's why he gets the horse. Like he, he wanted this, like I solved this mystery, I, the kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I, I think that Cord is innocent, but you know, dies anyway. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that and it's also uh, 
it's Jeff Bridges, the Richie character, is also given up at that point. So he's just yeah. kind of taken mm-hmm. over that kind of uh, nihilistic attitude, and that's why he grabs the gun, or grabs his hand, rather. Yeah. Not really grabs yeah, the gun. Yeah, that's true. He, which, he which does! Is an, it's an interesting move, because he did, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do that so you don't get your fingerprints. He knows that well, tech, you know, in his head, he's saying technically, Alex, it's Alex's finger on the trigger. Yeah, he's grabbing his so hand. That's another, him. that's right. That's another really interesting move. Yeah, there. he's he's either finishing what Alex wanted to do, or he's mm-hmm. actually thinking, hang on, if it's Alex's oh. finger on the trigger, then it's, but yeah, it still works the other way. Um, most likely. No, I think, I think yeah. you're right. I, I think it's, I'm going to have my, my, I want my friend to be able to finish this job. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's what it is. But also just works yeah. out the way that Bell's only find his fingerprints. So he's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, he, yeah. He's not going to prison for this, <laughs> which he probably should. Um, but no, this is a beautifully gorgeous, sad, poetic movie that you fall in love with. And it's kind of one of those movies where, unlike the, the fan or Irreversible, you want this movie to break your heart. You kind of it's a good heartbreak movie if that makes sense you enjoy yeah. the pain yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah yeah um anything else you want to say about cutter's way before we move on no i'm just glad i'm yeah, glad I, there's multiple versions of it out hmm. there for people to yes. to see it and it's it's streaming on on uh on tubi right now mm-hmm. as well so as of course everything is streaming on tubi so yes. yeah i think man, if you haven't seen cutter's way my god do yourself a favor and uh get into it man because it's a it's a beautifully tragic film yeah it really really is um you guys ready to go into spotlight or what yeah. a silly question Lindsay. of course spotlight excellent (laughs) and with that with a movie that was completely vague and not entirely sure what is truth and what is not we are now getting into a movie where well the truth is very solid and you're just watching people investigate in the best way and that is of course spotlight um i'll go to you first you Vinny. what would you show as a trailer before spotlight so i have two choices but i'm gonna go with the one that i think would be more fun yeah and it's a comedy. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a comedy on my list, so that's okay. <laughs> okay. So, but it makes sense. It's yeah. a 1999 uh, film, Dick. There lives in Watergate. They were there the night of the break in. They don't want anything? Sir, I have met yams with more going on upstairs than those two. Uh, <laughs> I'll take care of it. I've got a way with young people. They trust me. They knew he was big. Call me Dick. Guess what happened up? They knew he was powerful. How would you two be interested in being official White House dog walkers? What do you think? Again? They must never let him out. And they thought they could trust him. Who the hell are you? Oh, why were they shredding all that paper? Paper mache is a hobby of mine. But that was before they learned the truth. We heard that tape. What'd you hear? You kid checkers, you're a bad man. We've got problems. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen this since 99. So watch this. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, another true story, mm. um, uncovering, you know, a crime. And, but this one, you know, has a fun, fun go of it with these two teenage girls accidentally 
taking down Richard Nixon. And and it's a really, I rewatched it not too long ago mm-hmm. within the past year and it still holds up. The performances are very fun and uh, it's very well written. And it's, it's a, one of those movies where you're just going to smile the whole time. You're, it's, you know, that they're having a good time with it, with this kind of subject matter and uh, not quite like spotlight, but um, I, it is, you know, a serious story that they had a lot of fun with. Who plays Nixon again? Um, Dan Hedaya. Ah, that is that's actually kind of perfect. <laughs> the the Richard the, Nixon. Eh? Yes, the plays the Richard the Dan Hedaya plays Richard Nixon. Um, yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen this back since '99. Have you seen Dick, uh, Anthony? I've never seen Dick. I remember when it came out, I was like, "Oh, this looks so stupid. I'm too cool to see this movie." But like everybody loves this movie, I need to go see it. I need to see it. It's one of those ones, I think when I first saw it, I remember not liking it. Um, I think it's, so I need to see it again, but yeah, because everyone loves it, but I think I was a bit too, oh, I'm too cool for this. And um, right. not quite understanding what Watergate was, I think at the time. So I, I need to go back and visit this, but the idea of Dana Day playing Nixon with um, Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams running around, I think would just be adorable. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that is my pick. Yes. Um, Anthony, what is going to be your trailer for Spotlight? Oh, man. All right. So I I have three in front of me here. One is uh, Abusive Priest. One is Investigative Journalism. Mm-hmm. And one is Boston. And um, I think I, I'm going to go... I. I'm going to go with the non-traditional mm. route and pick this Boston movie. Uh, one, because I think uh, these other two trailers are sort of obvious. And and two, because I want to bring attention to this movie. And the trailer is really good. Uh, this is a movie called What Doesn't Kill You from director Brian Goodman. Mm. It's 2008. What Doesn't Kill You? Growing up around here, everyone knew the way it was. Some took to the straight and narrow. And some, like me and Pauline, had no choice and took to the street. Get down and get some money off him, will you? In this town, hope was just an illusion. You said 5,000. Yeah, that's your cut. You got a problem with that, Pauline? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. Oh, you do? I've been lying in your pocket since you were a kid. Point is, it's supposed to be getting easier. Chasing money, staying one step ahead of the law. There's always a price to pay. So take care out there, Brian. I missed you. We okay now? Yeah. Hey, what's that? You gotta kill the ball. Holly, when'd you get out? It stars Ethan Hawke and Spotlight's Mark Ruffalo. Oh. Um, Have I not known And uh, Amanda Peet. Is in there. Donnie Wahlberg, of course, got to have one of the Wahlbergs in there for a Boston movie. Um, yeah, it, it's not very well known, uh, but I can't remember. I watched it for cult movies for something. I don't know if it ended up on a. Uh, yeah, it never ended up on a a, a show. But anyways, uh, currently streaming on Tubi. So, what does it kill you? Is about two, uh, you know, friends from uh, maybe southie or you know mm. one of the crime-ridden neighborhoods of boston and uh they grow up one of them goes away uh, to prison they both get involved in in crime one goes away to prison mark ruffalo the other ethan hawk stays out mm. 
and then Ruffalo gets out years later and he's reformed uh, and he meets back up with Ethan Hawke and Ethan Hawke wants to get him back involved, you know, in the neighborhood with the crime and blah, blah, blah. And Amanda Peet plays, I think, Ethan Hawke's uh, wife or maybe she she plays one of the mm. one of those guys wives. Um, and it's it's about, you know, it's a very Boston movie. I was going to go with The Town, which I I love, love it's The Town movie. so mm. much. It's such an exciting movie. But the trailer sucks. Mm. It is not like I was watching it this morning. I was like, this trailer blows. Mm. Um, and I wanted something that that kind of highlights Boston. Like, And, and we're just talking trailers. We're not talking movie. We're mm. talking the trailer. And the trailer for What Doesn't Kill You really is about this takes place in boston like mm. it's about this neighborhood in boston so anyways uh the movie's really good the trailer kicks ass uh little non-traditional trailer for spotlight mm. no i have never seen this the fact that it has my boy ethan hawk um at boston i there's something about boston movies as we'll get into that just make it extra yeah. special because I think everyone's going for the accent. Um, or more than that, but when you do a Boston, you are doing a Boston movie. Um, but no, this looks absolutely fantastic. Um, that is going on the list. I am watching that. Right. Okay. So I had about three choices, and I think I'm going to go. Well, okay, I'm going to go for the over overtly Catholic one. Uh, the trailer is actually the least of the three, but it's going to have good music because it's Lucio Fulci's "Don't Torture a Duckling" uh, 1972, and I have oh. to get Fulci in there somewhere. Te figure con la cera. Poi le ho dipinte di nero. Perché quella è la fattura di morte. <laughs> che cosa preferisci? I soldi o un bacio? Non sai che hanno ucciso un altro ragazzo. cosa certa è che loro adesso hanno di nuovo paura. Mi avevate domandato di Donna Aurelia Vallone e quella là con la bambina in braccio. I didn't do it in the Jumanji episode or the Beyond the Gates episode, so I'm doing it for Spotlight. Uh, I really <laughs> like this movie. It is berserk. It is, uh, what's the word, inappropriate as all hell. I mean, this movie in every way, shape, or form is inappropriate, but it is Lucio Fulci trying to make a point um, about the Catholic Church and doing it. Actually, he's kind of restrained in this movie from memory. I haven't seen it for a few years, but I absolutely adore this this movie. Yeah, this is one of my favorite Fulci's. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's totally fucked up mm. and uh but it's it's um let's see it's it's him it's his version of a of a giallo i feel like because when when fulci you know he lizard in a woman's skin like mm. there's a couple times he went full giallo but this one feels more like fulci messing around with the giallo format it really is uh, and then, and then the ending of the movie is is great uh, yeah, it is. Especially, I love the ending of this. Actually, I forgot to ask you before, uh, Vinny, have you seen What Doesn't Kill You? Or as well as, and have you seen also, I'm assuming you've seen Don't Torture a Duckling. 
Yeah, I love Don't Torture Duckling. Um, mm. What doesn't kill you? I've never even heard of that movie. Yeah, me neither. Blows <laughs> my mind because like, yeah. that's from like the that's when I worked at the video store. Oh. That's I was so everything was coming in. I don't remember the. I looked up the DVD art. I guess it didn't get a big release because the studio went under. That, mm. that oh uh, yeah, by. so it only opened in a few theaters. But I don't remember at all. Mm. Not, not even hearing about it at all. Neither nice. did I. And some of those movies are like, it had who in it? What? Um, yeah. But yeah, no, right. uh, but Don't Torture is a, a classic. It, you're right. It is Fulci playing with the form of what a Jalo is. He's taking it to the country. He's really messing with it. He's actually, I think he's very angry. It feels like this is an angry movie, which you don't. So I guess with that. <laughs> we're and definitely go... a commentary on the, uh, on the church. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely yeah. comment on oh, yeah. the church. <laughs> um, especially, we're, 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 okay, might as well get into Spotlight. Full disclosure, this is now one of my favorite movies. I love it. I am giddy every single time I watch it. And yes, I realize this is the pedophilic priest movie. The Boston priest molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years. The church found out about it and did nothing. We haven't committed any long-term investigative resources to the case. No, we haven't. And that's the kind of thing your team would do. Spotlight. Guys, listen. Everybody's going to be interested in this. Obviously, the church will fight us very hard. I'm trying to get some background information. I don't want you recording this in any way, shape, or form. Nothing. We understand you've settled several cases against the church. I can't discuss that. There aren't any records of any of these settlements. Nope. When you're a poor kid from a poor family, and when a priest pays attention to you, it's a big deal. How do you say no to God? Spotlight. Just the tip line. You think he's got something? I want to keep digging. We need to focus on the institution. Show me that it came from the top down. Try to silence anyone who speaks out. You leave me alone, you hear me, goddammit? Six percent act out sexually. Six percent is ninety. Ninety priests. If there were ninety of these bastards, people would know. Maybe they do. Um, we'll start with you, you Vinny. Um, what do you feel about this movie? Because this Yeah. No, yeah. I've I've talked about this with Anthony before. I, yeah. I saw it in theaters, I loved it. Um, it's a really, really good movie. It's not the genre that I'm generally like attracted to, mm. but it you can't you can't like deny how good it is um the story is something that i you know every everyone by this point has heard you know and uh so seeing it breaking and everything is really interesting and every performance i i, I have a qualm with mark ruffalo which we, we've talked about yeah. anyway i've talked about oh i, have, um, I but, probably have the same qualm <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but every other performance in the film is really really great and uh yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of it so i think it's one of my favorite movies of probably the past decade mm. but yeah, that's big fan yes not um, the most rewatchable to me mm. It is for Anthony, but uh... so Anthony, how many times have you seen Spotlight? <laughs> uh, no joke, probably upwards of a hundred times. Yeah, um, I uh, this is so for decades, for many many years. When Harry Met Sally was my number one, movie, my all time favorite movie, and I, I just have to accept that Spotlight is my is that movie for me now. So when Harry Met Sally gets thrown in the pit, never again to be mm. seen. Uh, Spotlight is, um, let's see, one of three movies. Spotlight, spotlight, spot, spot. Get mm. that spot, spot. How Michael Keaton says it the very last, very last spotlight. Spotlight, um, yeah. It's when you, yeah, because he, uh, he doesn't do a Boston accent, except 
yeah, when you see a spotlight. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Um, so he, this is one of three movies that I have watched the credits roll and then I put it on immediately again and I, mm. I watch it again. And um, it's, it's When Harry Met Sally. It's Garden State. Sorry, I love that movie. And it's Spotlight. And Spotlight Spotlight is the movie that I've seen the most. Mm. Uh, and I I will watch this, um, and I say it all the time, at least half a dozen times a year. Uh, it is, I, I think it's insanely rewatchable because um, this is one of my favorite subgenres, this investigative journalism movie you know the post all the president's men yeah you know there, there's lots of mm. all of those movies i love because i love the process of the research mm. and the investigation but here's what i have recently discovered about myself is that i love stories uh of and especially true stories mm. of big international institutions failing i love seeing the top crumble down you know uh, uh the, the smartest smartest guys in the room the story of enron yeah it's a documentary that i've probably seen 50 times because i love seeing those fucking assholes pardon my language mm. just eat it yes you know bernie made like any any rich asshole um that is abusive in any way possible mm. i want to see them fail and so not that the catholic church has been taken down uh at all really because of this scandal uh but i love and it's 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 heartbreaking to say that because of of all the abuse and mm. and trauma that it has caused should have people. been take yeah it should have but it, it didn't right. but people do look but sideways I, at a priest yeah. now yeah i love i love it seeing these big institutions uh taken down uh but but also it you know there's so many factors investigative journalism mm. failing institution uh boston and then yes. the cast is ridiculous there's just somebody new pops up you're like oh my god they're in this oh my god they're in this oh my god they're in this and everyone i mean it has some of my favorite performances in in this but yeah i'm like anthony you give me a bernie madoff um documentary and i'm watching it uh because i did and that's not a good documentary but i watched all of it um but it is something, yeah, because there's this movie that's just come out. Uh, well, I think it came out like last year. It's called Argentina 1985, of when they actually put the oh, Argentinian Junta, I'm butchering that name, on trial, which they did and were found guilty. Unfortunately, didn't go to prison for a number of years. But the fact that that is the exact same thing. You are seeing these guys who did horrific things and should be eating crow, getting some justice or some recognition of, hey, what you did was fucked up and there is no excuse for it. And... Yeah, Spotlight. I mean, I love all the President's Men. I love The Post, even though I think that movie is very uneven. It's all those kind of things I absolutely love. I love people. My, my favorite trope in a movie is someone in a library looking at the microfiche, and this is 60% <laughs> of this movie. And 
I love it. I mean, as soon as you see the librarian look going through the catalogs and going through the clips and handing the file, it's it's I'm like, oh, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Not the reporters, that lady, <laughs> the archivist, the librarian. That was kind of what what's yeah. What's really interesting speaking to that point is uh you don't you don't the first thing you think of when you when we talk about spotlight isn't or shouldn't be mm. sound design. No. But the sound design of this movie is crucial, especially during those moments yeah. or at the end when Ruffalo and Keaton run downstairs and the phones are ringing off mm. the hooks. Every time you hear a phone ring or you you hear a phone uh, get set yeah. down like the on the receiver, these are all crucial moments. Fingers typing on mm. the on the. Uh, on the keyboards. I mean, there's the sound in this movie is really uh, important. No, because this movie does get dunked for having no style or people going, no, it shouldn't have a style, but it, it kind of does. It's just not the cutter's way or it's not, which is meant to be, which absolutely should have that style because that is about not a descent into madness, but a descent into something. Um, whereas this movie is very factual based. It, these things did happen. They were actually um, you did have a natural victim talking about his experiences when he just found out. I'm like, oh my god, that poor man. Um, and also people playing real people. Um, so the style is sort of more in um, not, it's not shot documentary, but it's just shot very simply. I like, I love the scene when every time it's shot when you're in the spotlight office and the camera's just looking into um, Robbie uh, Walter Robbie Robinson's office and you can see everyone at their desk. I love that shot yeah. because it sort of says so much about what this place is as well as the sound design, the kind of hearing the wheels on the carts and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I completely mm. agree. Agree with that. Um, Vinny, do you have a favorite performance in this movie, which I know there's a lot because <laughs> I was even looking um, at Jamie Mark Ruffalo. His favorite is Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I, I know he's not the most, uh, like the sexiest pick, maybe he's the sexiest pick, but mm. I, I love Stanley Tucci and I'll watch him in anything. And in this one, like he's, he's like you said, Oh, he's in this. Oh, he, Oh, they're in this. Oh, yeah. And when he pops up, you're like, Oh God, I love him. Like mm. he's so good in this. Like he just, it's, it's one of those roles where I feel like actors must like movies like this because it's a lot of care. It's very character driven and it's very dialogue. driven. Mm. So they get a lot to do as a character. Mm. And, uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's playing a real person. Yeah, he is. I, yeah. Most of them yeah. are playing real people, but I, I feel like I, I do like what he's doing. I, I always like what he does, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick one performance, but his always stood out to me. Mm. No, I, I can't talk. I'm very busy. <laughs> it's just what he yeah. says. No, he is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Anthony, um, what's your favorite performance and uh, who's your favorite performance? I was going to make a Mark Ruffalo joke, but I shouldn't because he's actually a very good actor. <laughs> he's just doing a thing. In no, this. he's a good actor. Yeah. Just, drives me nuts in this yeah. movie. Well, let, let me just say, let me, let me defend, defend Mark him, Ruffalo. Defend him, yeah. he needs, he needs defend him. He's, these are real people. Uh, and Mark Ruffalo is the only one uh doing an impression yes this is how his his guy in real life talks mm. you know he's kind of uh i don't know if it's palsied or whatever kind of talks out the side of his mouth mm. um he's and his mannerisms yeah. you know he's, he's you know maybe he's on the spectrum a little maybe, bit yeah. i think right 
but that that's what the real guy is because during the press tours uh they would you know they, they would interview the real people mm. it's like oh my god like ruffalo's doing an impression mm. so anyways um i man i'll tell let's god damn it it's like picking my favorite child um <laughs> John Slattery, he's not he's he he's not doing um you know anything special or weird, but John Slattery is one of the coolest motherfuckers uh, that I've ever seen on screen. Whether it's in Mad Men, a show I didn't really watch nor <laughs> like, um, he's good in Mad in Men the, though. Yeah, he's just so fucking cool. Um. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I love his relationship with Robbie, mm. um, and that, you know, they, they've been in the trenches together. Right. And I love how matter of fact, uh, Ben is Ben Bradley is mm. with, you know, he said, uh, he, he, when, when Robbie says that, you know, I, we did. We got this list of names from McLeish. Got this list of 20 names. Mm. Well, who got it? He sent it to Metro and mm. we buried it. And, oh, that was uh, you. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that was you. Yeah. You know, I just the matter of factness uh, between Robbie and Robbie and uh, and Bradley is is really special. I'm going to I got to name one more, though. Mm. When I, I, so I watched it yesterday and then I woke up super early this morning and watched it again because <laughs> it's the best. Um, Leah Schreiber is really fucking great in this movie. Yeah. He is really great in this movie. Really great. You could easily overlook him because it feels like, oh, it might be one note, but it's not. He's just a very quiet man who's just suggesting things. And he's like, well, why didn't we do a follow-up? It's a column. What were you thinking? Well, yeah, but we didn't. He's just asked. All he does is asking questions. And when he's sort of he's talking. Just asking, yeah. yeah. And when he's talking with the, with the, with law, um, and he sort of gives him the catechism, he's like, oh yeah, I, the, the city's institutions work well when they're together. And he goes, well, in my experience, they work well when they stand on their own. And he's basically saying, you need to stay away. From me it's this really touching moment um where he moves things around the table you can tell he likes things just so it's a really great um performance um usually i would go michael keaton i think this is michael keaton's best performance though i did want to give love to rachel mcadams and brian darcy james i think yeah, they brian are, james, yeah. yeah brian is he is so good there's a way uh, when you see rachel adams like interviewing people she's really manipulative um like you know <laughs> you need like when she meets the pedophile at the house she's like okay i need to write questions down as quick as i can like she's a dog who's gotten into the biscuits and she knows she's going to get pulled away at any moment but she's just yeah. trying to get as much down and um it just it, when uh, drc james is in the in the basement and goes what's that smell there's a dead rat over there it's just i don't know yeah. it's just everyone's so believable in the parts they play even the more eccentric ones like uh, um stanley tucci who was playing a character oh he's a character he's playing a very kind of quirky kind of character it feels very grounded within the world that they're um that they're running around in Which you know one of the most special <laughs> moments 
one of the most special moments of this movie is so throughout we've seen Stanley Tucci, uh, his character, uh, this Ar- Armenian, mm. uh, very, you know, uh, high, high tension lawyer. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's cool when he needs to be right yeah. in court and stuff. I um, cause he knows how to play the game. Yes. Okay. So, so he's playing this character. He's not, I mean, he's likable, but he's kind of a jerk. He's standoffish. He doesn't want to talk to, to, uh, uh, Ruffalo, but then when, uh, Ruffalo at the end gives him the paper and he says, thank you. I'll read. Can I keep this? Yes. It's mm-hmm. for you. And as Ruffalo's, uh, walking out he looks in and he sees the mom with her two kids mm. and and uh, tucci comes up and says uh two weeks ago priest abused them and uh and and so he walks into the room and what we know of this character so far has been sort of this gruff uh almost an asshole throughout mm. the whole movie but he walks into the room and he goes hey yeah he is so good and it's we don't even see him. We see his back, and it's such a it's a passing moment that lasts five seconds. But we know this guy, who's a real person, uh, really cared about these victims, and he really wanted to help these mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And that moment there, I remember sitting in the theater uh, watching it. Just, I mean, tears welled up instantaneously uh and it's such i mean every performance in this movie absolutely destroys me but that's a really one of one of a thousand very special moments in this movie yeah i love the bit when he's in court and they're just talking over the release of of the documents and he objects to someone saying um that he slanders the cardinal and the look in his face is just because because he knows he's not slandering. He knows exactly what he's accusing the Cardinal of and what he's accusing different priests of. And he has facts to back it up, but because yeah, just the look at his face of like being called a liar irritates him. And I love that look. And it gives you a little bit of insight into this man who's, you know, can't talk. He's very busy. Did you read the Phoenix? Yeah. I did a thing for the Phoenix. You should read the Phoenix. Like he's very, um, he knows I love the relationship actually between him and Ruffalo as they get to know each other because um, when Ruffalo goes, oh, he's a pain in the ass. And then um, Robbie goes, yeah, uh, so you can be too. (laughs) It's just there's these two quirky people kind of finding a relationship together. And then he opens up about the fact that, which is the stuff I love, that the documents are actually, the 14 of the documents are public because he had to file another motion because of a dickhead lawyer. And um, it's, I love that. I love for that stuff in movies, but I love that relationship when they're in the diner and they're just kind of connecting over the fact that both of them are outsiders. It's, um, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. (laughs) Um, yeah, there's so many good performances. Actually, I want to go, uh, do you have a favorite, uh, Vinny, do you have a favorite conversation? Cause this movie is literally just between conversations between people. Is there a favorite one that really kind of gets you like excited or just happy or just, Oh, this is a really good moment. One of my favorite moments in the movie is when they're going over the, the reasons for the, when they, when they first kind of start connecting the dots on the priests relocating. Yeah. And they're like going over like the list, the list is like, Oh, he left for six months for this reason. Mm. He was gone for it. Like, like that. And it's like, it, the pace of the scene keeps going, going, going. Mm. As you realize you're seeing these people 
connect the dots in their head, you know, like, Oh, look, we did it. We found out like, this is a huge clue. And it plays into like the sort of like mystery of it, because you know, that, you know, what happened as a result of this investigation, like it's, you know, it was was over a decade before the film Mm. or before the film comes, comes out, but it's seeing how they got there and seeing like, this really happened. These people were following these, like, you know, no cooperation Mm. at all from any other there's no i mean there's still no really acknowledgement mm-hmm. from the catholic church for this or any yeah. kind of like remorse um but yeah that scene where they're you know it's like i think it's like one where he's like oh he's, he was sick or why why was he gone for three months or why why did he have to move for nine mm-hmm. months or something like that that scene always uh, that's my favorite scene in the sequence in the film um because it just shows that kind of like investigative journalism also you can kind of see like not really joy because of the subject matter but almost like the joy of them like hey we're this is that we're actually onto something here and that that's that's one that's always stuck with me and it's always been my favorite sequence in the movie yeah anthony do you have a well i know you have many favorite sequences but what is a favorite sequence of yours that makes you kind of runtime the whole runtime The whole runtime, and and then you start over again, and you watch it again. <laughs> you watch it for four hours, and you wish it were longer. Mm. Uh, it, you know, what a moment that I really love. So, Spotlight is a Christmas movie. Mm, it is uh, sneaky and yeah. sneaky Christmas. That's right. And I love at the end when Robbie goes over to um, Jamie Sheridan's oh, that, yeah. uh, Sullivan. Jim Sullivan's office or house Mm. at Christmas and um, Sullivan kicks him out of his house. You bring this shit to my house. Mm. He stands up, he hands the paper back. He says, get out of my house. Mm. And, and this was, this was Robbie's like, this was the, he needed this Mm. to really sell this. They're going to run the story anyways, but he needed this. Mm. They've, they, you know, the publishers, the, the, the editors had already made concessions. They, they made concessions that, okay, uh, it can be an anonymous source, but we have we really have to get this guy, and he doesn't get him, and he's walking back to his car, and then you hear, hey, and, the, and we're just watching Robbie, and then it goes over to, and it shows Sullivan there, and uh, he takes the, the list, and Robbie wants him, if anyone hasn't seen this, Robbie wants Sullivan, Jim Sullivan, to circle or highlight the names of these priests that that mm. he can confirm were abusive. He was and what um, is Sullivan? He was doing loyal work he, for the for the church. Sorry, I'm, I'm butchering yeah. those words, but yeah. And and what does Sullivan do? He takes the list, and it's two pages. He circles the the whole mm-hmm. list on one page, and then the next page, he circles the whole list on that page. No words. Hands it back. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up right now. Just thinking about that. It's such a, and here's the thing. McCarthy shot this over like a year's time because mm. it's, it's, um, it's not in real time uh, because, you know, you have nine 11, which interrupts the whole fucking thing. And which it's like, it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful time it's, capsule in that respect. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it totally brings me back. Uh, but McCarthy, like they took the time to shoot this over an entire year so they could get on location shots during the appropriate seasons. Mm. And that just their breath, 
it's cold as shit outside. Mm -hmm. You can hear when Sullivan circles the names, he's mm -hmm. riding it on top of uh, Robbie's car, uh, car mm -hmm. and you can hear the pens screeching mm. across because it's cold and he's on cold metal i don't know they, again the sound design sound yeah that yeah. moment again that moment one of a million the the number just going to keep going up here in this movie um is so fucking powerful and they don't say a word but you know that friendship is over. That is the relationship that really stood out to me on this watch. I mean, I've seen this movie like 10 or 12 times, um, probably even more. But it is what I, I love the fact that these Robbie is willing to destroy a friendship, like not just kind of push a lean on a friend. OK, OK, fully uh, his his uh, friend was doing something very <laughs> was working in a very dodgy system and making sure these sort of payouts and was defending these guys and he even calls them scumbags but it was my job but he's willing to annihilate this relationship for that one source i mean when he sort of says oh is this source something we can revisit and he goes that'll be tough no you can never go back to this man's house again you two are done and it's it's not heartbreaking because Jim Sheridan, uh, Jamie Sheridan's, uh, uh, what's his name, is playing it this kind of way that he's trying to be very, very defensive. He doesn't want to break the system because he, and he obviously can't speak up because of legal reasons. Mm -hmm. But so you don't feel completely sorry for him, but you do realize this is a friendship that's done. And um, Walter Robinson was completely just willing just to go, yep, no, I need you as a source. I need to get this done. I want to get the story. This is how I want to shape the story. So you were just going to have to realize I'm ruining the friendship. And it's in a, in a quest for good because you needed to get the story out. But at the same time, it's like, whoa, you just annihilated a friendship. That 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 is not something you can go and revisit ever <laughs> again. It's, uh, it's really, I love how uh, in the office, um, I think uh, Resendez says, you know, he he's the first one to call call uh, Sullivan a scumbag. You know, he's he's defending mm. this. You know, he's he's one of them. And Matt uh, Carroll, played by Brian Darcy James, mm. he's the first one that pipes up and says he's doing his job. Yeah. And so, yes, atrocious situation. He mm. is aware of what's going on, and he's not coming forward. Sullivan, that is. Mm. On one hand. On the other, this is what he's being paid to do. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't look at Jim Sullivan really as a bad guy. I don't look at Eric McLeish, played wonderfully by Billy oh, Crudup. Yes. I look at McLeish as, as a bad guy. The, the bad guys in this movie are the fucking priests, the church. Yes. That's the bad guy. Lore is um, so smug. He plays, the, I don't know who the actor is. I didn't write it down. He's Len playing Carew. Lore. Len oh. Carew is awesome. awesome. So He's good. so smug. So, <laughs> you know, Len Carew originated the role of Sweeney Todd on Broadway. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that is so, so cool. It, I just I, I think it's kind of funny thinking about that. But yeah. Uh and um and, and then knowing that Cardinal Law he didn't he didn't get in trouble. Yeah, he that got, happened a he lot. He got a new job. He Got to move to South. <laughs> yeah, Just got to, promoted yeah. exactly. Yeah, in in Australia, there is a one of the biggest. Uh, he was the main Catholic. He was like the bishop or whatever of, of Australia. Um, he because we had a royal commission uh, that started after a whole bunch of this happened. 
there was a big royal commission into it and which basically found that he knew multiple priests that were being just moved around. He was suggesting to move them. Um, he still denies it to this day. And there's some other things that happened, which I can't really speak to of accusations, that kind of thing, but no. Um, but yeah, he uh, got a promotion at Rome. So any, all these guys, if they kind of keep to the, um, like in the, um, if they show their loyalty, much like the mafia, they will just get promoted. They are not, it's, um, loyalty is much more important than actual morality and it just keeps happening it makes me so angry <laughs> yeah and then at the at, i remember we uh i was in new york city for for my very first trip there when this came out and it, it you know i was one of those new york city uh los angeles premieres right yeah and i went and saw it on the opening night in new york city we not expect anything i didn't know anything about this movie i was like oh that's we got the free night so mm-hmm. when saw this movie and of course i like one the theatrical experience being able to see it on its limited release opening night premiere really special moment the movie is fucking amazing mm-hmm. but then the end i remember i was sitting with my brother and my sister-in-law All the credits absolutely speechless and before you know that it says this is what happened to cardinal yeah. law he got promoted to the basilica yeah. And then, and then it runs down three or four screens of cities in the United States and then worldwide where priests have been confirmed as abusing uh, children there. And priests have been moved around. My- yeah. It's not just that they were, um, it, you find that there's the same pattern everywhere. These cities, they were right. moved. Yeah. When, when I saw my town on that list, I was like, oh. I like it was shocking. Yeah, my town shows because I mean, Mm. yeah, I mean it's 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 totally fucked up. But Mm. um, and I I feel like the movie in no way exploits the situation, in no way exploits the victims. I feel like it um, it it does the job of like showing uh what this team had to do to uncover this story but then in but but then it's fully incriminating the catholic church it is um, it, 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 and in no way exploiting anything else no it's more about the research and it doesn't exploit them i mean yes it is about pedophilic priests because i remember i saw it at a like a mall screening um a shopping center mall um because it was starting to get its oscar run um so more cinemas in australia were picking it up and i just remember sitting there smiling going Lindsay, stop smiling at the pedophilic priest movie but it's not that i mean the reporters of spotlight are just are doing their job they are heroic in that moment but this is what they've been doing for like you get it you get the sense the team has been working for a long time like they hang out each other's coats they can almost finish each other's sentences especially um robbie and ben bradley uh jr they're constantly just as you said there's a relationship there, the fact that Ben Bradley goes and checks up on Mark uh, Ruffalo. I did notice everyone's constantly giving Ruffalo food because he's separated from his wife. So they're constantly giving him cake or they're constantly um, coming over with leftover pizza because they know that that man is not eating. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's more about um, them investigating it. And that's the thing that got me so excited when I was watching it. It was the actual process of researching. Like Vinny said, when they find the catalogs, Mm-hmm. And they're going through, oh, it's a designation. They get excited about um, not bringing the Catholic Church down necessarily, though 
but it's going up they're excited about going after the system but they're realizing oh there's the next lead there's the next lead okay mm-hmm. actually why isn't um mcleish putting these into um why are there any court documents about these cases that mcleish has been talking about what what's yeah it's that is that process um Vinny, did you like uh, what did you think of um billy credit's performance as the kind of slimy yet not slimy lawyer <laughs> yeah he's he kind of walks that line where it's like good guy bad guy because he's yeah. just and he, and he does that very well yeah in multiple films um yeah i i liked his performance more than the person that was nominated for best supporting actor for this movie yes yes um, me too. So. multiple people could have been but, and, and that's why in, in this movie is a good uh good uh testament of why they should have like a like what the sag awards have mm. where it's best ensemble yeah because really to, to to narrow it down to one performance in this like oh that's the best male performance or that's the best female performance it should be this cast does an amazing job from top to bottom like mm. it's and it's you know it's a lot of speaking roles it's a lot of dialogue it's it's not a short movie so it's not like they're only on screen for two minutes mm. like they, they they get enough to work with and they, and everyone just comes and does a great job like everyone that you pop in and out of the movie and it's you're not like taken away it doesn't nobody's performance takes you out of it no scene is like wasted it's always like it's adding to the mystery it's adding to the drama it's just adding to the story and Billy Crudup's character is, you know, is one of the lawyers and it's, you know, he's, he does his job, but, you know, it's, not in the best way. No. And I think, <laughs> especially with the um, whole Weinstein thing coming out, you realize that's what mm. this is built around. It's about keeping yeah. people quiet, making sure there's no documentation and making sure it's about money so they can easily go to the victims. Oh, they just wanted a payout. Well, no, the payout is the only way they could get justice. So it's kind of amazing how the, all these kind of systems kind of make this um, way of dealing with it within house, but it's an easy way for um, people to point at victims and go, well, they were lying. They just wanted money. Well, no, there's no other way to get recognition for what happened. Yeah. And I think that was, it's not deliberately said in, in um, that movie. I think um, if you make movies going forward, I think that's something that's going to like the NDA thing is going to become more prevalent, but um it's kind of the undercurrent of this it's like even uh michael heaton goes yeah we're going to talk about you know dirty priests or we're going to talk about um the cottage industry that sprung up around this and the catholic church effectively did make a, ca- a cottage industry with um sheridan and uh, mcleish that's kind of what they did <laughs> in may i step in and mm-hmm. defend mcleish mm-hmm. years before when robbie was at mm-hmm. metro McLeish sent him because they talk names. about the, mm. the best way to do this is to try them in the press. Mm. And so, so their first meeting with McLeish is he alludes to that. The best way to do this is to try them in the press, mm. but then it re their their the final time we see Billy Crudup. Uh, he says, I sent you the list of 20 names. Mm. And then, you know, he's, he's sick of these two people keep showing up at his office and he's walking away and he, and he says, you decide what, what we're going to write. And then, um, yeah, exactly. And so again, uh, McLeish is, he's on the defense side. Mm. So, so that's, you know, uh, he's got the one up on, on, uh, Sullivan there, mm. right. He's on the, the, he's representing the victims. Mm. <clears throat> uh, and he tried 
to do this in the press because he knew the system. He knew, excuse me, that you can't take the Catholic Church to court. They're going to win every time. The best way to do it is to try in the press. Anyways, the Catholic Church is poisoning me right now. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's killing Anthony. Um, No, who do you, I mean, there's also a thing when, um, I can't really, when the guy who's in charge of SNAP, is sort of doing his presentation and he goes, well, I did send you a box of info. I did send you this box of information, but yeah. they didn't pick it up. I mean, he could be talking about Robbie. He could talk a bit talking about something else, but I love the fact that the globe has to kind of reckon with its own. We were part of the system that was bearing these stories. Um, I mean, they were across the, st- I love the fact that they're across the street from the Boston boys school. Um, yep. that Boston is a really small town and they treat it like a small, like most movies treat Boston like a small town because it's so Boston and you will either have like a Ben Affleck or you'll have a Wahlberg in there somewhere and it everyone, it goes like, as I love The Departed, but they go nuts on the accent because that's what The Departed is. This one's a little bit more subtle, but it still continuously references I mean, they're at a baseball game. Um, the rich are playing golf. Um, yeah, you got the, I don't know, just the way that it portrays Boston is such a magical thing to me because you go, oh, this story could have only happened in this way in Boston. I mean, yes, the Catholic Church has been doing this all over the world, but the way it's uncovered in Boston, this is the only way because Boston's the small town that's going to do this. But the whole thing of showing how uh Robinson Robbie is very much part of the system I thought was really really interesting and he started to see it from the outside when what's his name is like oh yeah come on we're Boston give us a break he's like oh is this what happens a guy yeah. leans on a guy exactly. like you're seeing yeah. it for the yeah. first Paul, time Paul go ahead Vinny no and also Boston is yeah it's a small town Boston's also a very ca- traditionally Catholic town Mm. and um with a lot of irish catholic immigrants so a lot of boston you know all these years later it's still a very catholic town so it was it was one of those places where if it was going to happen in america Mm. it would happen in, in a sort of epicenter like that where it's you know there's how many catholic churches in the boston area and everyone knows somebody that, you know, if you're not Catholic, you know, you know, a lot of Catholics, mm. everyone knows the priest, they, they know the neighborhood priest, they know mm. these, these, these dioceses and how they, they operate. So for the Boston Globe to go after the Catholic Church, that's even a bigger deal. Because it's sort of a, a face of Boston are these are these Catholic groups mm. in this city whether it's the irish or the italian it's so it is it is very important that it was a city like boston it's it's that small town feel to a big city but it's also definitely the enemy right next door kind of feel too mm. and and that's I, I do like that they they show how ingrained into boston culture these people are like they are this this is their city oh yeah because it's showing a sunday and it's showing uh rachel mcadams with her nana at church it's got even leave shriver at a cafe that's right opposite from a church yeah you just show how even though these reporters um aren't connected to the church you've shown them that it is they show it is everywhere it's not like mm-hmm. something they can just sort of walk away from and it is if you go to Boston, yeah. there's a lot of Catholic churches. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. See, my, my my brother got his uh his masters in Boston, mm. and and when Paul Paul Guilfoyle kept saying, yes. "This is our town, Bobby. this is our town, Robbie," um, 
Andy, like walking home that night, he was like, that's exactly, that's how people feel about Boston because it is such a very tight kit, uh, tight, um, community mm-hmm. and tight knit community. And it, um, you know, like when Sasha's, uh, walking with Joe, uh, and when he's like, can mm-hmm. we take a walk instead of sitting at this cafe? And he's telling her the details of, you know, the give the blow job and, and having mm-hmm. sexual intercourse with the priest and they stop talking and they stop right in front of a Catholic church with a, with a playground right mm-hmm. in front of it. But yeah, it, it is, you, you see how, uh, close in proximity, everything and everybody is in this town. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry, now I'm coughing. Um, no, they're I love getting that. you, Lindsay. They're, they're getting me. <laughs> yes. No, it's it is this amazing thing when he's sort of talking to uh, when that same guy's talking to Rachel McAdams. And he goes, "Oh, are you from Boston?" She goes, "No, I grew up in Ohio, but my mom's from Southie." And goes, "Oh, you get it." Like they're constantly referring to what are people's backgrounds. They're constantly asking you where you went to school, how long have you been in Boston. Um, even the guy who's running Snap goes, okay, are you all Catholic? And they all basically go, and I think they're sort of saying things and Robert goes, yeah, look, we're all from Boston. Well, you can always, you could, you can all assume we're lapsed, like, but we know what the Catholic church is. And there's this reference that keeps coming back is like, when a priest comes to your house, it's like God is visiting, which, um, as someone who did not grow up in any kind of religious kind of education or anything like that, that's a weird sentiment to me. I'm like, it's a dude. But for what it represents, and especially with Vinny was saying before, is that the fact that it's such a close-knit Catholic community, having a priest come to your home probably would feel very much like God visiting. It's like, oh, shit, this is representative. He's he's coming into the house. So this must be a good thing. Yeah, everyone in your family goes to church. Mm. All the kids go to Sunday school. They all probably went to a Catholic school mm. um, for the primary education. So it is it is like that. The, the priest is looked at, and this is why they did what they did because they had that power and they could do it. And they mm. had a, a essentially a corporation covering up for them. Mm. But like, it's that abuse of power because they are looked at in such a light that, and that, and that, and that's, what's kind of crazy that not much has happened from how big this story was. Yeah. Not much has. And even like when they found out about all of the uh, indigenous uh, children that were being murdered in Canada, by the Catholic church. Yeah. Again, not much has happened as a result of that. It's more of a crazy to me that it's like these huge exposés happen. That's, and- that's how, well, that's how powerful the Catholic church yeah. is. That's, that's what it's, that's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, terrifying. people are aware of it now, but nothing has actually changed. Like you go, yes, I know about the indigenous communities. I know about all the abuse. I know all these things that have happened. As soon as you say, Oh, the Catholic church was involved. I'm like, Oh, God, what's going to happen? What 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 do they do this time? It's, yeah. but you're right. Nothing has changed. They are still this most powerful organization. I mean, there was a pope that, an old pope who died, and there were people flocking into the Vatican to say thing. And I'm just like going, this institution is rotten from the inside. It is. It it needs a significant overhaul, and this practices and kind of things. And the, the I think it's um, Stanley Tucci's character says they think. The Catholic Church thinks in centuries. They do not think in mm-hmm. like days yeah. or years. Yeah. Do you think you have the power to actually go up against that? Mark Ruffalo goes probably very naively. Yeah, I think we do. I think we have the resources. Um, which is yeah, it, which unfortunately they don't because it's the they think do think in centuries. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know, I I think it's funny n- not to detract uh, from the movie talk, but like mm-hmm. how people go after like Scientology and, and Mormonism mm-hmm. at, are kind of set themselves up as easy targets for the to be fair, they down they believe in. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and and all all l- listen, abuse happens silly. all over the yeah. fucking world, but like you don't hear. You know, we get these series and these books written on Scientology on HBO, but and, and then you know, like A and E, Leah Remini, like goes and does mm. this big series and interviewing people. It's like, uh, you don't get anything like that for, on the Catholic Church. Uh, why down. is that? Yeah, yeah. Where's Where's Alex? Think how many movies his... they've threatened to shut down? You know, exactly. Where's Alex Cutter with his conspiracy theories? We exactly. And this is kind of like this. Actually, this is why I like this pairing is because. Um, Cutter knows there's something rotten. He just doesn't know where to point the gun at. Like he, it, it's may not, oh, yeah. it's probably not caught, but he knows there's something because he was sent to Vietnam. Things happened to him. He knows there's something rotten somewhere. He just doesn't know where to point the gun. In Spotlight, you get a very concise, detailed, um, research articulated thing of, oh no, this is where it is. It's not just these bad apples. It's the system. It's not even just law. Yeah, exactly. It's it's bigger than that, and. I love that about that. It's so clearing and concise and shows you every step of the way. I mean, I love a research movie and this is a research movie. So every single time they are just digging in, they're asking questions. They are knocking door to door. I mean, I even love the scene where uh, Deassi James realizes there's a treatment center like round the corner and he can, and he just put the thing on the fridge because he can't tell anyone. He's just like, kids, do not go near that house. And when he just puts the paper on their doorstep and walks away, I do a little fist bump. I'm like, yes. <laughs> it's like you've yeah, been found it, out. It's, it's, it's uh, there's an interesting connection where Alex Cutter is, uh, he, he, like you said, Lindsay, he's, going after someone but he's going after the wrong thing he mm. he he needs to go after the system yeah. uh you know whatever the system is you don't know what and the then system Martin, is, but yeah exactly right and, and he's just one man mm. uh and then marty baron uh says we're not going after the law we're going after the system and then yeah. robbie has to keep telling everybody this isn't the story the story's bigger than this. We need to keep going. And yeah, the, even against everyone's arguments, even against Marty's arguments at that yes. point, when they get when they get the documents, yeah. he's like, no, I want to keep going. And no, Marty's like, you got six weeks. Yeah. Then. Like, yeah. I the one criticism I have is the when Mark Ruffalo gets really angry that they're not going to run the story after the he's gotten the documents. Um, because that kind of feels like the manifest the only point in the movie where it kind of manufactured, okay, we need some heightened drama here um because they effectively have the same argument with marty and um and bradley but what they do is like but no this is the story and he goes no you said to go after the system i'm going to go after the system so we need to um do that but it sort of puts it shows the pressure that reporters are constantly on if they have a big story how they keep it um under seal from other reporters like getting it and doing it wrong i mean my favorite moment from the post is when they send the kid over to the new york times to sort of see what they're doing just buying them essentially and then when he sort of sees the blank headline they're like oh crap they've got something big that they're not even putting on there okay is it the papers is it like <laughs> that kind of thing um but yeah that's the only one moment i'm like oh okay, i don't love that angry speech but because i think it's done better 10 minutes later when they're in the office with bradley and um baron 
that's my that's the only thing that other that perfect movie <laughs> uh, well, oh, this, this movie's perfect i love it um anything else you want to say on spotlight because i could probably come on for another three hours just like going, what about this what about this <laughs> Yeah, I you know I don't know the subject matter is very dark. Yes. Um, but there's so many things that that bring me back to it. Like, and it's I mean it's no hyperbole that I've watched this probably a hundred times mm. uh, because I I just do not get sick of this movie and I there's no other movie that I can say that about which is weird because there's lots of great movies out there yet Spotlight spotlight is the one for me and it's an oscar winner what. best movie oscar winner which i know sometimes can ruin a movie like if movies didn't have the pressure of being a best picture winner it can sometimes uplift them and sometimes it can crush them because people are like really you chose that and this was a bit of a weird oscar year when you're like well there's nothing really strong and then spotlight wins you're like oh shit they chose the good one <laughs> um but i think in terms of that, it doesn't really matter for the movie because the movie is what we have. And I find it so watchable. I find the performances so not warm, but I just keep leaning into them whenever they're talking. I want to know what the conversations are. They're very intelligent. They kind of, it's again, what I think it's Hitchcock says, people just want to watch people who are good at their jobs. And this is spotlight. I mean, they could have easily turned the Ben Bradley character into a villain of sorts. Like, don't do this. The story's nothing. And as soon as he finds out, like, one fact, he's like, oh, fuck, 13 priests? Like, fuck me. Um, and he does question them, which they should do, because that process needs to be questioned. Are you going for the right story? Are you researching the right thing? Um, is this hyperbole? And then when he finds out this isn't, it is – then he's just fully on board. And he is like, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. And so I – yeah. Um. Any final thoughts, uh, Vinny? No, it's 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 really a a fun genre of film or subgenre mm. film that kind of, you know, this you're you're going along with them trying to solve a mystery that you already know the solution to. Mm. So just seeing how they get there, it's really and it, and it kind of does it perfectly mm. because it's very well written and it's very well performed and it's engaging and it's depressing yes. but entertaining. <laughs> yes. So it, it and it is like a perfect example of that subgenre. Even though Mark Ruffalo doesn't really, he kind of like phones it in and doesn't really perform very well. <laughs> I think he's actually giving too much to it. Actually, I think he's yeah. there's this little, little weird head shake that he keeps doing. I'm like, you don't need to keep doing the head shake. I know it might be the the guy, but pull it in, pull it in just a little bit. <laughs> I will not stand for this slander. <laughs> he's he's doing like a an SNL sketch of spotlight and everyone else is doing the academy award nominated film yeah that's what it is and i like mark ruffalo just not he 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 takes me out of it well anyway i'm kind of glad that's michael keaton who gets the final line and just the way he says spotlight i'm just like oh god damn i love you michael keaton <laughs> and, and i love that when it won best picture how yeah. happy michael keaton was because yes. he was in the best picture winner two years in a row he was and when that when they said spotlight oh. i remember he jumps up and he's like yes yes and he's like super excited that that he was that he's doing important work again yes because this that was sort of his renaissance was the, those two films and uh yeah it's a very genuine moment of an actor like really taking pride in the the kind of film that they're doing yes everyone feels like they're taking pride everyone's just yeah as you said actors like this kind of stuff because they get to attack it they just get to do a lot mm -hmm. with it. it's all about the nuance it's all about the the kind of the looks it's there's long takes so 
actors going back and forth or it feels like it's longer longer takes with actors mm-hmm. going back and forth and yeah i love this the genre i will always as soon as there's a new investigative um uh, movie i'm journalist i'm going yes i will want to watch this movie because they are generally very good even not the best ones i still really enjoy <laughs> um so yeah thank you so much for coming on for this um double thank you for anthony for indulging me same with Vinny. um this yeah, is more of me a, a chance to geek over a spotlight more than anything else but now i have cut his way in my life and i'm even happier um so <laughs> yeah um anthony please tell people where they can find your good work uh you can find the podcast at cult movies pod on twitter and instagram you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at AK Donnelly, A-K-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y. And you can read me at F This Movie every Friday. Mm. Yes, yes, you can. And Vinny, where can people find your good work? Especially your pasta photos, which I haven't seen in a while, and I'm sad. I don't know if that's the algorithm or what. <laughs> I, I I posted them. Um, yeah. No, uh, Twitter, uh, Vinny But Better. I'm also <laughs> usually on Cult Movies Pod, um, so you can find me there as well. And there are links in my Twitter for my letterbox where I write very short but amusing to me reviews of the films that I'm watching. <laughs> Excellent. And yes, yes, they are. Thank you so much again for coming on for this double. Um, this was a blast as usual. And yeah, we will be back with another double feature. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.